Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting to you from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, freedom, food, and everything else in between with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast. My name is Paula Favor. I'm here with my ranger buddy, Mike Blackburn. And this is the podcast for America's Warriors. Uh, today is Friday, the 2nd of February, 2024. Got to get used to saying that and writing that uh, as uh, we get cranking along in this new year. Uh, it's been an interesting year so far. Absolutely. Uh, we have, uh, this is really our first guest who is uh, a blacksmith author we're going to bring on the podcast for this year. So today we're welcoming, uh, again, Jason Dougherty. Uh, he is the author of uh, an upcoming book, Be the Boxer. Uh, and it's subtitled, A Handbook for Hooking and Jabbing Through Life, or Philosophical Thoughts of Some Dude, or <laughs> Philosophical <laughs> Thoughts of an Old Marine. That's a long subtitle. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but it's awesome, though. No, it's, yeah. a great, it's a great book, and it's uh, certainly a book for the times. Yeah, so Jason, welcome again to the uh, podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is a topic we've been wanting to get into it for a while. Uh, uh, Jason and uh, Mike and I, we share uh, a similar background uh, and a similar brain. And uh, one of the topics we wanted to talk about was... Uh, Stoicism uh, and Christianity, uh, and we want to look at uh, the similarities, the dissimilarities, and uh, and really how, or basically, or to use your subtitle system, Jason, or how can a Christian use Stoicism, or is Stoicism a viable <laughs> philosophy for the Christian today? I mean, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Help break this down for us. Jason. Yeah. I mean, can you how just. Does it, how, does, how, does this, yeah. how does this work? Yeah. Maybe you could start off by just telling us. Maybe you can start off by telling us this if you want is just kind of the basic, uh, the basics of uh, stoicism. Basics of stoicism. So stoicism is, is based on the pursuit of virtue. Mm. So uh, Stoic virtues uh, might be like wisdom, courage, temperance, justice. Um, and it's also based on the assumption that there is a natural order to things that um, is divine in nature, meaning that God has set in motion natural, the natural order of things, um, and that human beings in order to achieve virtue or more simply to live the best version of the human life mm. that that is available to a human requires that one become virtuous and the way in which one does that is by aligning their heart with the natural order of things which is you know a, a christian would say simply that god's will is is what drives nature and, and drives the drives the goodness in in humanity 
and that alignment of our heart with God's will uh, will result in a virtuous life, which is the best possible life that we can live. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I, I love that. Uh, I've heard that before, but not put that same way is uh, the best version of yourself, living the best version of yourself. I mean, if that doesn't speak to you, I don't know what does. You know, I want I want to be. You know, we're, we're starting off this new year. We're a month into it, but uh, being the best, you know, whoever you are that you can, and I think uh, that's, you know, you you there should be a part of you that wants to do that, and I think that's what sets us apart as a community uh, of warriors, you know, and uh, that definitely speaks to me. Well, yeah, something, there was something that you said earlier um, that, I, that I've, I've heard you say, and, and that is the Stoic is not not a Christian, but you know the Christians can certainly benefit from Stoicism. Um, how does that work, and, and, and why is that important? The, the similarities between Stoicism and, and early Christianity, like if you go all the way back to Paul um, and 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 like the his, get some historical context for what type of influence Stoicism had at the time of of Jesus and then the early church, say in the first few hundred years. Um, the similarities between the two are are much more significant than the differences. And so Paul, as a Roman citizen, was certainly educated in Stoicism and and arguably influenced uh, by some Stoic tenets. Um, and so the, the difference between them would boil down to why, why kind of why it's a one-way street, meaning that uh, a, a Christian can be a Stoic, but a Stoic may not be a Christian automatically. Is, it comes down to the idea of uh, original sin. And in early Christianity, you know, original sin leads to the idea of collective guilt for the original sin, which requires atonement in a very specific way. And so the death, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the, is the, the only path back to wholeness with God for the Christian. Amen. The Stoics didn't necessarily believe in that because they predated that. And there, there were some, there were some uh, scholarly debates between Paul and the, and the philosophers of his time um, about this very thing. Um, and, and so, for me, that's why I think that that, it, that it's easy, and it's certainly not heretical for a Christian to draw from the, the wisdom or the practices of Stoicism and bring that into their Christianity, specifically in terms of. The way in which they approach discipleship uh, toward toward Christ-likeness, which is what a, a Christian would probably say, um, di- discipleship. The intent of discipleship is to make me more like Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the methods by which I can do that, you, you can borrow ex- extensively from the way in which Stoics practice philosophy uh, and incorporate that into Christian discipleship. Because the aim is the same. Like the, the Stoics would say virtue itself is is sufficient. 
for happiness. There is no greater, you know, be, being a good person and, and really specifically defined what good means. But the pursuit of virtue and becoming like that is is the highest calling. It, it is the what what men and women, human beings were created for. And that everything else, all the other so-called good things in life, the externals, ought to be regarded with indifference. Mm. And Paul does a really good job as an apologist of, of explaining that. Um, and that, and then third thing, so virtue is sufficient for happiness. Uh, other so-called worldly goods ought to be regarded with indifference. And, and the third uh, is that the world is providentially ordered by God. So I could, I could just, I mean, you, I got all these thoughts going through my head just listening to you because I could see Paul traveling through this, you know, this former, you know, this Hellenistic world, this former Greek empire, uh, mm-hmm. of course, under under Rome now, but um, it, it, having all these debates with all these various people that he ran into, and and you can just imagine, uh, there, there must have been plenty of Stoics that became Christian, and that process I think would, would be fascinating to sort of uh, watch and, and to listen to some of the, the ideas that were, that were being thrown around. Yeah. I love the, uh, I just got a comment on a couple of things. There is, uh, you know, virtue you said is sufficient for happiness. That's absolutely true. You know, and the Bible says that, uh, uh, that, uh, I mean, well, the Lord says this in uh, Matthew, uh, six, uh, he says, you can't serve, you know, two masters, you know, you can only serve, you can't serve God and mammon right. and that you're to seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness and everything will be added to you. So you're really seeking, uh, that's what you're doing is you're, you're seeking truth, you know, verite, truth, uh, virtue, uh, and virtue in, in Greek is erite. It means praiseworthy excellence. I mean, it's awesome. So your your praiseworthy excellence is sufficient for happiness. So I mean, if I'm doing, uh, being my, um, living my the best version of myself, and I'm given all that I got, I can be happy in that. That's absolutely true. It rings true. Uh, and then all three of those tenets: uh, worldly goods uh, should be treated with indifference. I think is what you said. That's absolutely true. Jesus says that. Uh, uh, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. You know, you'll, you'll get everything else you, you need. Just seek the kingdom of God first. And I, I see the kingdom of God as, as a dynamic uh, concept, but it, it at least means um, the, the, uh, the sovereignty of God in the world that's uh, first realized in your own life and then those in concentric circles around you is that it's is, as it's enveloped as you pray for it and live out those virtues, and then you said the, uh, I think you said history uh, is providentially ordered by God or the nature of things, how they actually happen. That's absolutely true, uh, and I think if you uh, if you latch on to those three ideas, I think it's a great move forward. That sounds like a it's like it's probably in a good book. <laughs> and, I, and I know it is. Uh, we've been. I mentioned the book uh, to our listeners. Uh, it's it's called "Be the Boxer," and uh, you know, obviously that these concepts are are uh, teased out in that book. And 
uh, and a lot of examples are given. So, yeah, fantastic. I think uh, uh, I think uh, when you when you look at this topic, some people I think it's worth saying is they immediately hear the topic of Christianity and Stoicism and they think, oh, there's Christians again trying to hijack something. Or they may say um, that, uh, you know, you can't uh, use these two systems because they're mutually exclusive or they're just enemies. But I think what's good about this conversation is it is uh, it moves things forward in a meaningful way that shows we don't have to do that. You know, we don't have to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. It's because we're created in the image of God. We have reason. And God is God is calling us to use it, to use it, not to check our minds at the door of the church, uh, but to 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 reason through. And, and the Bible tells us that all the time. You know, consider this, reason through this, be mindful of this. And so, you know, if uh, I mean the Bible does not say don't even use your reason; it calls you to use your reason all the time. And so, I think this is a very fruitful discussion. For uh, Christians who maybe have never even considered the system, but uh, you certainly should be attracted to it. But uh, yeah, uh, I mean there are you 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 noted a couple of uh, big differences, but maybe you can tease out some of the similarities too. Maybe some people don't know. Hey, what? Uh, I think we just said three of those, but maybe some other similarities. Uh, maybe I can. Uh, I was just thinking about this. Maybe I can. Uh, give you a couple topics. Um, I know this is uh, Epictetus uh, begins his Enchiridion with this idea, uh, basically accept what's beyond your control. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe we could just, you know, hit that for a second. You know, why is that important, uh, and how is that similar to Christianity? That's that's a that's a really good one. Uh, because it's central to it's central to stoicism and in my study i also see it as being uh, central to christian discipleship um one of the one of the pitfalls of being being empowered with with reason and intellect is that human beings have a tendency to deify themselves Mm. right we um, and, and maybe that's just part of the maturation process over years, but um, we make the mistake of thinking that we can control the world. And I, I, I say it like that because it's it's ridiculous, but we think that somehow our, our efforts alone um, can create the conditions in which we can, say, achieve or or control other people's behavior, or make our life, um, you know, that, that we can order our own lives the way in which we'd like to. The truth of that, you find in Christianity and in Stoicism, is that our, our ability to control things really is, is only, we can only focus internally on that. And, and so, like, if, uh, it's the idea for me that in Christianity, it's a lot of truth is found in paradox. So the idea that I have to lose my life to find it, which those are Jesus's words. 
I must lose my life if I'm to find it. For me, it, that has specifically to do with the idea of control, the things that I can control and the things that I cannot, which is a stoic tenet. It, it all boils down to that. And, um, and with that, first comes the realization of my own fragility, which is the, the, the undeification of myself. Mm. Like I'm not bulletproof. I am prone to make mistakes. If you give me long enough, I will screw up. Right. But I, I've been ordering my life as though I, I know what I'm doing. Right. Mm. And so losing my life and, and, and some psychologists would kind of chalk that up to say ego or persona, meaning that version of myself that I create to, to send out in the world that is going to help me survive and thrive. And we've talked about that before, and it's certainly in the book. But um, the, the, the ego has to be not crushed, but subjected mm. to the will of God or what the Stokes would say that, you know, the order of nature. Mm. So the engenderment of humility through my, the recognition of my own fragility, like, and sometimes that will happen. I've worked a lifetime. I get myself all set up and I, I delude myself into thinking I have some kind of ownership or claim on my station in life. And then it turns out that really I don't, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm as much a puppet on string as anybody else. A lot of military guys get to the end of their career I remember as a lieutenant, I watched a major retire and it was, it was in a stuffy room in the back of the O club. You know, it was like 11 people there, a sheet cake. And I remember being a second lieutenant and looking at my buddy and being like, this is what you get for 20 years. Mm. Like you get a sheet, a sheet cake and, and 11 people who wish they were somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, and so you it's think more than I got. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, it is more than I got too. I mean, get, you know, no gold, no gold watch, no pat on the back. It's uh, like, yeah, man, you're just making room for someone else. But yeah, like, you're you right. Know, go ahead. Go ahead and get on, man. <laughs> and, and so that delusion that, that, that we have, um, some claim on our lives, it's not to devalue the work that we do. And, and it's not to, devalue the choices that we make that enable us to build some kind of functional life. It's just to say that we're not in control of it. Like anything could happen at any moment and completely upend 20 years or 30 years worth of effort. It, you know, we could go sideways at any moment. And so that is the beginning. That's, that's what losing your life to find it is to me. And, and that's when I, I have, have an opportunity to, uh, to begin to rely instead on God. Like, Hey, I'm still required to do my best, but I know that really I'm not in control of things. God is. And so I, I really believe that the process, that's not always like a revelation that occurs. And suddenly I realize I'm not in control. I give it all to God and I'm good to go. Like, that can be a process. Because I'm so conditioned to taking out, you know, we all have that bias toward action. We want to think through it, talk through it, plan it, execute, get it done. Like we're so conditioned to behave that way for so long that, that once we realize that, man, this is all me just kind of like 
taking swings in the dark or, or, you know, peeing in the wind or whatever, um, that there is the assumption of, and when I say assumption, I mean the putting on of what Jesus called the easy yoke and the light burden. Mm. That's where it gets paradoxical. I realize I'm not in control. I have to, I have to recenter myself in God. And the, and the Stoics say the same thing. Christians say it and Stoics say it. You have to center yourself in God, in the divine order. And if you do that, if you can do that, and you can let go of all of the things that you can't control, and yet continue to strive, continue to work for, toward virtue, continue to do your best, the result of that is that you have put on now the easy yoke and light burden that Jesus talks about. When he says, you don't need to worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's what the, that's what the Stoics mean when they say, focus narrowly on those things that you can control today, just right now. Mm. Once yeah, behind you or behind you, the ones tomorrow, those are tomorrow problems. Mm. And that's one, that's one way in which Stoicism and Christianity meet in a very, for me, a very poignant way. No doubt, no doubt. The, uh, you know what? Uh, also, I see out of that. I just want to get in there. Is uh, w- when you ex- you accept what's beyond your control and you focus on what you can control, it prevents frustration. You know, it prevents uh, delusion. Uh, it gets yes. you. It helps you live in the here and the now. I know, and that is uh, very important. That you focus on the present. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I think that is no doubt another tenet, I, I think, is um, uh, you said, you know, living um, in accordance with the divine order um, and, and finding, you know, finding your place in the universe, living out the, the, the best version of yourself in where you find yourself, something like that. And, and yes, uh, you know, yeah. And yeah, and I, I, I think that. This, um, the centering of ourselves in, in, uh, in God's will, uh, or in the divine, the divine order, I'm, I'm borrowing from Christian and, and Stoic ways of putting it. That is the, that's the number one thing right? from that flow, you know, all manner of, of, of efforts or, uh, disciplines or whatever that, that is the primary, or that is like the, the the primordial action toward effective discipleship is the understanding that, that I'm not God, that I can control everything as much as I would like to. And once I can accept that and, and humble myself, that's one of the interesting things that scripture says, God, God doesn't humble us. We humble ourselves before him. Mm. That's something that I have to do. God will let me run around as, as, as arrogant and inflated as I want to be. But when I, when I do the, the work, whether I learn this cognitively or a mentor deposits this wisdom in me or the circumstances of my life beat me into submission, whatever it takes, it is the moment when, when I take a knee and I humble myself before God. So I'm not you and I need some help. Mm. And from that, 
all kinds of things can flow. I mean, mm. you know, Paul, Paul, when he says one of, you know, it's funny, one of my favorite ideas out of scripture, Paul said it next for in you, we live and move and have our being. Right. That I did not know was Paul was quoting, um, Epimenides, I think yep. was his name. Exactly. And he, so he's talking to Stoics and he's using Stoic poetry or Stoic ideas mm -hmm. to let these guys know that what, what he's doing in Christianity is very similar to what they're doing. There's one difference. And he, he's not there yet with them, but he's meeting them on the grounds on common ground, mm -hmm. basically. In him, we move, we live and move and have our being. And he goes on to say, for indeed, we are his offspring. He's quoting Zeno when he says that. Zeno was the founder of Stoicism. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. Is uh yeah. I think that that establishes so much that, you know, all truth is God's truth. And that uh just a meeting uh, people often use that. Uh this is an aside, uh not to go off on a rabbit trail, but Acts uh, <clears throat> Acts thirteen, uh Paul is preaching to the Jews in Antioch and Presidia. He uses the history of uh, Israel's ancient past and the scripture to prove that Jesus is the Christ from scripture to the covenant community. And then outside in Acts 17, where you're at, he's on Mars Hill and he's talking to people. Mm. He's meeting them right where they're at. And great principles of, of uh, ap apologetics there is you're using mm. the commonality. You're finding the commonality. You're, you're meeting that uh, the common ground and you're building up from there. That's fantastic. And, uh, I really want to get to this too, is uh, uh, how stoicism is useful uh, for the Christian when it comes to fear and anxiety. And I think that is very fruitful turf. To, Today, yeah, maybe day. if you could tease out some stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in the days of fear porn. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's insane. It, it is. Yeah. That. It, it, that's such a great topic because it, it's so relevant to, I don't even know where we're at right now. Are we like post, post, postmodernism or yeah. like, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what we're calling this era that we're in, but fear, uh, you know, all things like all things boil down to fear and love. And I find this in every religion, every philosophy, in one way or another, when you get to the bottom of it, uh, you know, the yin and the yang are fear and love. They are chaos and order. They are desperation and inspiration. Um, and, and you can't have one without the other. I talk about the idea of contrast in the book, you know, that you, you need contrast you know, you know the light because of the darkness, right? Um, that the, the paradox and contrast are necessary. And, but fear, there, there's a saying in like psychological circles that all guilt, shame, and regret live in the past, that all fear, anxiety, and stress live in the future. Mm. And, and though we experience stress and anxiety in the moment 
typically, you know, all emotions to the other ideas that all emotions are, are descendants of thought. And so when my mind is in the past, um, it will engender feelings of, of guilt or shame or regret or whatever. If my mind lives in the future, I'll borrow from the past, the things that have gone poorly for me in the past. And then I'll, I'll kind of sketch little future narratives of different characters committing the same crimes in the future against me, mm-hmm. of life conspiring against me, of things not going well mm-hmm. based on my past experience. And so from that, I'm afraid of that. It hasn't happened yet, but I'm afraid of it right now. And anxiety comes from that. And so there is like the fruit, say the fruit of the spirit in in the New Testament. You know, what, if you practice this, if you practice this life, if you walk this Christian path, what are the fruits in your life that you'll know uh, that, you know, you, you talk about like even just boil down to hope, faith, and love in Corinthians. Um you know, or a peace that passes all understanding. These these promises that Christianity makes to the disciple, what are the fruits of it? Well, Epictetus, he said the fruits of his practice were tranquility, fearlessness, and freedom. The connection between those things, you know, there's the idea that perfect love casts out all fear. That's scriptural, right? But the Stoics would say the same thing, mm-hmm. that that in understanding that it is it is the responsibility of divine order to handle the future on my behalf that results in fearlessness, which is in the Christian tradition, that's faith. From faith, I get hope, right? A hope that God has a plan and I don't need to worry about it. What I need to do is focus on what I'm doing right now and I need to do the best I can. That's my part in it. I have a part to play. And I am relieved then. I'm relieved of the fear of the future. And once once freed from that, um, anxiety becomes less and less a part of less and less a part of my daily life because my personal experience, my my thoughts around anxiety are they it, it is the knowing of my own inadequacy to be able to carry out that thing, which I feel as though I'm compelled to carry out. Mm. And I experience anxiety. Like I'm not going to measure up to that problem. I'm not going to be able to handle that. And it's stressful to think that I'm going to get, life's going to throw things at me and I'm going to be unprepared, incapable, too dumb, too slow, too old, too uneducated, too whatever, to be able to handle it. And I'm, I'm basically going to get, I'm going to get handled somehow in the future, or it's just going to be a re a repeat of all the horrible things that have happened to me before. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. Hope, faith, and love, mm-hmm. tranquility, fearlessness, freedom. Mm-hmm. Very similar. Yeah. No, I can't get in there, Mike. Well, I was just, I, I, I was introduced to Christianity and then later Stoicism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still struggling to, I guess, you know, live as much, as much of a, 
from stoicism, the things I can learn from stoicism is possible. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a different uh, way than I was brought up and certainly different than, than the people in the community that I lived within. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't that many stoics that I recall growing up, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, I got to think that I think I would have rather been a stoic first and then introduced to Christianity later. Um, because I think it's, I, I see the parallels and I see the familiarity, the similarity, um, and I think it lends better to a Christian lifestyle maybe than, I'm not sure if I'm articulating this well, but it just, it just seems like a more natural sort of flow going from that foundation of Stoicism into Christianity. Because I think in our life, especially the way things are in this postmodern world, I guess, um, I think it's crying for <laughs> the uh, benefits of Stoicism today, like we are just talking about. And I think uh, it definitely benefits uh, people going through life today and the chaos today. Um, and I think we were talking about judges earlier, Paul and I. And uh, I think Christianity has not done a very good job of preparing uh, men especially uh, and, and their congregations to, to tough times. And I think the, the Stoic um, philosophy is a philosophy for a, a tougher time, for tough times. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to, I mean, absolutely. It is, a, it's just, you know, tough times and we're living in hard times. You know, we, we should per, be producing strong men as we were talking. Yeah, the, uh, you know, um, building on what you were saying, too, is, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going back to those three things you said, that triad, you know, virtue is sufficient for happiness. Worldly goods should be treated with indifference. And uh, history uh, is providentially ordered by God. Uh, let me just ask you this. I mean, this is... Uh, well, actually, two things. One is, uh, and it builds on the question, is most people think of Stoicism, and they think of it this way. Uh, you know, I'm a Stoic, and someone says, hey, Paul, you're, uh, you're out in the woods, and uh, your house just got burned down. And I say, oh, thanks. And then someone says, hey, and uh, your whole family was in a plane, and it just went down in flames. And I said, oh, okay, thanks. And, and, and that's how they perceive stoicism. It's like oh, yeah, right. just stoic indifference. Like, ah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. It, it, it doesn't even matter. And, uh, and I think that's wrong. It's a wrong uh, uh, perception people have of the system. I think you would agree. Maybe you can address that. And, and really that's my good. question of feel, uh, dovetails in with this is, you know, how do you live in accordance with nature? How do you live, what are good ways to, to live in the life setting that God has put you? Maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe you can just go off with that. It's loaded. <laughs> no, I think, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Jason, but <clears throat> yeah, I think Stoics do get kind of like a, this, this sort of, uh, you know, bum rap, if you will, of kind of just like yeah. not being indifferent, not caring about anything. That's certainly not the case. I mean, we're, yeah. we're certainly humans. It's not that it's, yeah, it's not a care yeah, issue, but right. yeah, a process. No, we, yeah. Still have, we still have emotions. 
Yeah, exactly. That's kind of where I was going to go. Maybe, maybe Jason, you can yeah. uh, uh, kind of springboard off of that and segue off of that into something that I know you got. Absolutely. So I see two parts there. The first is uh, the kind of the brush that stoicism gets painted with in terms of uh, not showing emotion. Right. Seems to be yeah. sort of the, the general misconception. Uh, and then the second part is what what is the practice look like like what can you borrow from stoicism that as a practice lends itself to christian discipleship mm. am i kind of tracking on that yeah that's it that's it that in, in the, right? okay in the setting of uh, where you find yourself yeah, that's it yeah yeah so the 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 misconception of stoic uh whatever you would say not I mean, it's actually being stoic about something is defined as, you know, not not showing a lot of emotion around it. Uh, but the, the stoics are focused on and, and we they're focused on an appropriate emotional response. So in, in our world today, certainly our Western world, what we've become accustomed to, it's like I think, Mike, you said you described it as like fear porn, you know, like. They're going to hammer us with things that are supposed to make us afraid, which also makes us uh, subservient. You know, uh, Seneca said, who who fears serves. Mm. Meaning that as a population in, in a democratic society, fear is one way that the government can control the population because they can't just throw us in prison for no reason. You know, um, so they can make us afraid and then we're willing to do whatever they tell us to do. Um, but, you know, in our, in our last podcast, we talked briefly about that the, the classic image of the pond of still water, you drop a pebble in it, it has a, it makes small ripples, or you throw a big rock in it, it makes a big splash and, and the ripples go on for a while. That the pond represents all, all the emotions available to a human being and the the small pebble or the big rock represents some external event, something that we see or hear or experience. And the, the stoic point is that we have an appropriate emotional response, not that we're, that we're dead or numb to the world, nor are, are we, are we uh, you know, uh, predisposed to histrionics, like overreaction. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in the book, I talk a little bit about uh, on the psychological side, personality disorders, character defects, you know, all those kinds of things that, that have to be addressed for people typically are categorized either by being too loud or too quiet in a person's life. There's too much of a response or not enough of a response. Yeah. And I, I use kind of volume as a, as a way to think about that. But that's where the Stoics are heading with it is that I treat things based on the nature of those things. Like Paul, you were talking about, you know, reality, understanding what reality is. And that's a very difficult thing for a human being to do because everything's an interpretation of some kind, but uh, appropriate response. And then in terms of, in terms of discipleship, I mean, I could go down a list of things that are similar, but with Christianity, with Christian discipleship, and with Stoicism, both the heart 
is central to the practice. Like, you know, Proverbs even says that. Like, keep my words, store my commands within you, keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. So what does that mean to bind words to your heart? What does it mean to bind the law of God to my heart so that I will never forget it and I will never depart from it? Well, simply, you know, maybe one explanation of that is when I memorize something, I know it by heart, right? So memorization is an example of um, a practice that can be used in, in discipleship. Yeah, I've written your uh, words deep in my heart. I've hidden your words deep in my heart so I may not sin against you. Yeah, absolutely. Again and again, we see that in, in Scripture. And the Stoics talk about the same thing. Like, you know, Proverbs says, all a man's ways seem right to him. Mm-hmm. But the Lord weighs the heart. Mm-hmm. Right? right? That, that what God wants from us is to do what is right and unjust. And, and that is more important than sacrifice. It's more important than what it looks like externally, mm. which is is a very stoic thought. Um, those are very similar, and this is stuff coming out of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this has been part of Judaism, and then and then now part of Christianity as well. And like uh, last time we talked, I mentioned Admiral Stockdale. You know, and in his philosophical thoughts coming out of the Hanoi Hilton as a prisoner of war. He would say that for a human, the moral purpose or the will is the only repository of things of, of absolute value, that the heart is central to any endeavor to become a virtuous human being. And that in, in Christ, Christianity, the heart, Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher who I've talked about before, he would say that the heart is the will. Those are the same thing in a human being. That our will and our heart are the same thing. So if you think about it like that, aligning my heart, that that central, uh, the central force or the central energy in my life, that is my will that directs my actions, directs my thoughts, directs everything about me and who I am and who I'll become. The alignment of that is the central thing in, in Stoicism and in Christianity as well. Mm-hmm. And they talk about like, um, you know, like praying in secret or giving tithes in secret. Uh, Thomas Merton, the, the monk, that I, I love so much. He, he always talked about the secret place. Marcus Aurelius talked about the inner citadel. Hmm. The, that is where we go. We store up in our heart those things of absolute value that are available to us through our alignment and, and contact and connection with God. And that also that also becomes the place that we can retreat to so that we can we we can be reminded of, strengthened, inspired, to return again to the world outside of us. Yes. In, in both in both of those things, they are. Oh, I like that. 
get out of the same. And incidentally, last time we talked about Solzhenitsyn and and uh, the Gulag Archipelago, you know, and and both both Willard and Stockdale and my readings of them, you know, they talk about good and evil. And the Stoic is indifferent to everything but good and evil. And, and in Stoic thought, our good and our evil come from the same locus. Vice and virtue both reside in the will, which means they reside in the heart. The essence of good and evil lies in an attitude of the will. And Solzhenitsyn said that. And Epictetus would say moral purpose or character or soul is it is the essence of who we are that a person is not hair and skin and, and whatever else a per a person is moral purpose that is the essence of a purpose uh, of a person is a moral purpose we are rational will we are divinely made and if we if we focus on that and that becomes beautiful then the rest of the person is beautiful as well that is the washing of the inside of the cup Jesus talks about, I wash the inside of the cup, the outside's made clean as well. I don't even have to worry about it. That's right. That's right. Hey, and uh, I mean, that's fantastic uh, thoughts. Um, I wanted to sneak this in here too, because uh, you talked about the will, you talked about uh-huh. the heart, and something that uh, comes out of our lives, you know, that I think that Stoicism helps me probably more than anything else is um, dealing with emotions, you know, mm-hmm. emotional restraint, yes. if you will, uh, being balanced emotionally. When I, the first thing I think of a, of Stoicism is is that. And, and I know that uh, just a couple of terms, uh, I know they deal with healthy emotions and unhealthy emotions. A healthy eupathei uh, uh, and emotions, pathe. So... Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you could just tease out some of those. We we know, we know. Look, we all experience emotions. So mm-hmm. the the first thing we said earlier it was a uh, the presupposition is stoicism is not about being emotionless. No, you because you can't. It's impossible because you wouldn't be a person. You wouldn't have a soul. Everyone with a soul has emotions. It's how you process those emotions, how you, uh, how you, uh, you deal with them. So maybe you could just tease some of that out. That's a big topic. <laughs> Man. Yeah. You're good. You're good at, uh, <laughs> like honing in on the, on the big topics. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and emotions are, emotions are in, in they're, they're intriguing. Um, uh, be, because we do all have them and that there's something that has been helpful to me <clears throat> that I actually got from a, a source external to my readings and my study and practice of, of either stoicism or the Bible. Um, but it, it is the way in which emotions work. Mm. And, and so in stoicism, what, it has helped me do in particular in terms of practice. Like, what do I do with my own emotions? Well, like a lot of say career military guys, especially combat arms guys, or, or, you know, dudes who think they're like tough guys, you know, like we mm-hmm. all do. 
Um, emotions, dealing with emotions, the easiest way to really handle that is just kind of kind of turn that off. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to mm-hmm. do all kinds of stuff and see things and, and whatever. Yeah. And I'm just going to make myself emotionally unavailable because mm-hmm. I don't really, honestly, I don't have time to deal with that crap, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you're like doing the Lord's work overseas or, or you're in high, high op tempo or high stress environments, a lot of moving parts. We don't have, if, if we want to remain functional, in some cases, it's necessary that we just turn it off. But the problem is later on, you, you can't leave it off forever, right? Because all that energy swirls behind it and builds. So it's going to it's gonna get out. And, and we're not doing ourselves any favor by thinking we're going to keep that turned off the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> from that, when when I turn it back on, whether that's post-deployment or, or post-career or when the energy itself has got to the point where it demands to be attended to. And that could be for any reason, personal, professional, whatever. It's just like suddenly I have all these emotions and I got to deal with them. That the way emotions function, a mentor taught me this, is that if you picture the ocean, the ocean is the reservoir of all emotional energy in our lives. Say, say it's the reservoir of all energy in our lives, emotional energy included. Emotions will, will rise like a, a wave. They will crash and they will return to the source. So that um, the energy behind an emotion, say the event or the, the thing that causes it, the thought that causes it, it will naturally create an, appropriate, an appropriately sized wave. Right. And that wave will rise and I, I will need to contend with it in some way. And then it will it will crash and it will just return to the source. Well, the mistake I make is that I don't want to feel certain ways about certain things. Either I feel like I'm not supposed to. There might be guilt associated with that. It could come from my childhood. Maybe in my family, this type of emotion was not acceptable. So I've always been taught to shut it down. Maybe in my military service, there are certain types of emotion that were deemed unacceptable. And so I learned how to shut those down. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm, I'm compartmentalizing my, my, emotional, uh, my emotional health and well-being. Because now I have, I have emotions that are going to rise no matter what. But now I put blockages in place so that they don't disturb me in my daily life but the energy continues to build behind them. And so at some point, those things are either going to break through or I'm going to lose my temper or I'm going to have a, you know, I'm going to have a breakdown. Like, you know, my wife's going to see me crying for the first time and I have no idea why, why, you know, I'm, I'm sitting on the sofa crying for a half an hour. Well, like where to come, you know, like I saw like a sad commercial and suddenly I'm crying for the first time in 20 years, you know, like it's gonna it's gonna find its way out. The method by which to address that is simp- is simply to become an observer of your own emotions. Right? And so if I think about my heart inside me aligned with aligned with God, and I'm it is the repository also of all those things of absolute value, virtue and, and anything else that I could put in there that will last and endure, then I can retreat to that space. 
I can observe my own emotions without stopping them and without, without giving them more energy than they naturally have, which is what histrionics is. When I overreact to something, I give my emotions more energy than they deserve. Or I shut it down completely. But if I can become an observer anchored in, anchored in that place, anchored in my own heart, then I can watch them and see how they naturally rise and fall. And from that, from that, and this, this sounds a little like kind of, you know, woo-woo as people would say, but this guy was like, just try this. You start feeling anger. Well, feel it in your body. Where does it live in your body? What does it look like? Just experience the feeling and let it run. Don't do anything about it. Just watch it. And practicing that and anchored in the inner citadel or the, or the, or the secret place or that place where I am intentionally trying to stay in conscious contact with God and I can safely observe those emotions and watch them rise and fall. And all that energy can, it can rise in my life and dissipate in my life. Anxiety is included in that fear. You know, most anger really is just a replacement for fear because it's, it's easier to deal with. I'm more familiar with anger than I am with fear. I'd rather be mad than be afraid. Mm. So I'll swap those two out all unconsciously. Right. All right, so I'm trying to visualize this right now. Um, so you are, I mean, I think all of us can relate to the fact that I, I ain't got time for that right now. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah. Let's just turn that off. Okay. We'll just flip that switch. Um, but I think we, we don't even, we don't want to flip the switch at all. I mean, that, that's the really, that's the problem I see is that we don't want to come back later to deal with it. It, we just think it's just gonna just go away. Right. Um, so you're talking about sort of like, I'm, I'm sort of a picturing sort of this meditation type event where you kind of, you find your, you know, quiet space. Um, or is it something that, like the wave, is it something that it just comes and you need to recognize it's coming um, and still yourself and just sort of let it run where you're at no matter what you're doing? I mean, how, how does this work? Is it, is, it, is, there a, is there a time when you could say, hey, it's time to visualize the feelings? Yes and yes. So the 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 practice of of meditation, whatever that looks like to you. So you know, one form of meditation is like focusing on your breath. Every you know, most people are familiar with that. Another form of meditation is to continually turn over memorized scripture in your head. Right. I meditate on the law day and night. That's from the scriptures. And so there, there are a lot of different types of meditation, but really what that is, is, is centering down, which means I retreat into the secret place of my heart, which I'm intentionally opening up to uh, alignment with, with God's heart or God's will to, to the extent that I'm able, which a lot of times really isn't like, it's just me trying to plug in or open up or, or be available to God. You know, I can't manipulate that experience at all. And if I were to try to manipulate it, it would it would have disastrous effects. But I, I find I learn how to rest in that place. And that is a practice that I can do daily so that I become better and better at just kind of uh, of sitting in that place, right? which we have to learn how to do. 
from that practice, then that's when it gets into my day-to-day -day life. So an example would be for me, I'm driving down the road, somebody, you know, anybody who drives faster than me is a maniac and anybody who drives slower than me is an idiot, right? So the world's full of maniacs and idiots and I'm driving down the road. I'm the one guy who knows how to drive. You know, I'm the one guy who's doing it right out here. And, and so people start making me angry because they're not doing it right. Mm -hmm. Well, once I realize I don't know everything, I also, you know, down the road, I realize that maybe I'm not doing it right either, but that's another discussion, but, mm -hmm. but I get angry in the moment. Well, if, if I know how to retreat to the inner citadel, I know how to sit in that, in that kind of secret place or that quiet place, that anger, my, my initial response that I'm conditioned to is either to make it stop because I don't want to be angry or to feed it, which can become, you know, as we've all seen, it can become road rage, but more often what it becomes is me like delivering of just a, a vehement, like the vitriol in my head about people right i have a full it's like i'm standing in front of congress mm. delivering a speech on everything that's wrong with people mm. right and i'm doing that quietly seething in anger as i'm driving down the road right i'm not running anybody off the road i haven't i haven't like i haven't put around in the chamber yet <laughs> but mm. how close am i to doing that right who knows you know on any given day that's where it ends up but so in the moment, whether I'm in a meeting, I'm driving my car, uh, I'm having a conversation, I could be, I could be in a group, I could be in a one-on-one, -on -one, I could be by myself in my car. The ability to, to retreat to that inner citadel, to reconnect to my higher power and to the virtues that, that I want to be a part of my life. And then to quietly observe, the anger's gonna rise, I'll see what it does. Maybe it makes me warm somewhere in my body and then it goes away. Mm. I don't do anything about it. That's what I had to learn is that I think I have to do something about every thought and every feeling that rises up in my head and in my body, Where but I that, don't. Mm. No. Yeah. You switch the behavior from doing something about it, shutting it down or feeding it. You switch that behavior to, I'm going back to my secret place for a few minutes here. And just, and just take a look at it. Yeah, that's just, uh, just watch it. And that's going to take uh, time, uh, discipline, right, discipline. Yeah, discipline is another uh, key term. When I think of stoicism, I think discipline. Uh, these have to be put into practice. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, the reason and, uh, and I, I love how in stoicism, uh, reason uh, takes uh you know, the steering wheel. That's the idea behind it. Uh, we we're, we're created in the image of God to use our brains and not to lose them. And I think we're most like the Lord when we are, are rational and, uh, you know, we're, uh, we don't, you know. Not quick to anger. Yeah. So, I mean, and that is so much like the Lord too. Uh, he is, um, I mean, everything you've been kind of fleshing out is, you know the the mannerisms of Christ. You know that he he was a, I mean he was a man of war, but also 
uh, in a man of passion, but uh, he, he controlled himself, you know, and, uh, and uh, yeah, so you can, I guess that's what we're trying to show in, uh, for our listeners is, uh, you know, stoicism is not a system where you just kind of turn off your emotions You're and just a forget zombie. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's, a, there's a time and place for yeah. emotions, right? I mean, there's uh, a time and place you know, with yeah. the money changers. I mean, but it was just, it, he just controlled. Knew. It was controlled. Yeah. It's controlled emotions. I mean, it was, yeah. he knew uh, it was an appropriate behavior like, like Jason was talking about. Yeah. It, appropriate. Exactly. And, uh, you know, as we, as we flush out this uh, new new year, I mean, how how important is that for us? You know, uh, maybe last year we lost our crap all the time, and maybe you don't like that. That's good. Maybe you want to be more of a man. And I said that, I mean it, is to, uh, you know, a man, uh, a husband and a father is the emotional thermostat of that house. Mm. If the man loses yeah. his crap, that family is toast. Okay, the wife is going to help, but... A man is the key, and right. if the guy is in control, that house is on its way to goodness. You know, so uh, it's very, very important for for men, and that's just primarily our our listeners and readers. Is you know, we're we're key to this. Yeah. So I hope that uh, hope that today's discussion has really helped you. It's really helped me, Jason. Yeah, I, got, I got a lot out yeah, of it. I got a lot of this too. Uh, I'm uh, I'm excited for the book to come out. Uh, and if you didn't hear that title, it's Be the Boxer. Uh, it's a handbook for hooking and jabbing through life and other assorted <laughs> subtitles. We'll have to decide <laughs> what, what makes the cut on all the Yeah, but, but uh, Jason Doherty, uh, he's the author, uh, warrior, philosopher, and uh, leader of men. So appreciate you being on the podcast today, Thank Jason. You, Jason. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me again. And, um, I'm looking, oh, man. I'm. Up. I always love talking with y'all. Oh, we're gonna. Yeah, don't worry. We'll, we'll be having you. Oh, again. yeah. You're gonna yeah. be a regular customer. All right. Have a good so, one. Thank all you. right. Thanks so much. Right. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Pinelander Podcast. If you enjoy our unique content, please consider supporting our sponsors. Soft News provides special operations news from around the world. It's where Paul and I go to keep abreast of what's going on within the soft community. Check them out at soft.news. American Partisan is the vanguard movement of Western civilization. Be sure to check them out at AmericanPartisan.org. And, of course, Blacksmith Publishing. We've been serving the warrior class since 2013. They have a great titles written for warriors by warriors. If you're looking for uh, excellent reference material or just want to enjoy a great novel, be sure to check out the bookstore. Or if you enjoy hanging out with warriors, come spend some time with us in the G-Base over at the Pinelander Podcast. All that's at blacksmithpublishing.com. Until our next meeting, stay mentally and tactically smart, physically and spiritually strong, and socially astute. To each other, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. May God continue to bless Pine.